it's my hope that every single one of us, including myself, would leave here with a renewed sense of motivation, but fundamentally with a, with a new conviction to love and serve God like never before, because I think that's what he would have from us. I don't think he'd want any less. And so I think as a follower of God, you will always be a leader no matter where you're at regardless of position or title or anything like that, if you really follow God, people are going to watch. And like Aaron's going to talk about tomorrow, you will have impact and influence on the people around you. It's impossible not to if you're following God. I think all of you guys are doing awesome this year on both campuses. You're leading Bible study, small groups, SNL, TNL, Rumble on the Rack, Apex, all these awesome uh, events that are designed to help non-Christians meet Jesus and help Christians grow closer to Jesus. You guys have all contributed many hours. I've got to talk about Robbie and Justin and Mike Anduha. You guys have done crossover, the athletic ministry. That's huge. We, two years ago, were not reaching the athletes at Fort Lewis College. Now we are. And it's in a way that I could never do, as buff and athletic as I am. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Zach agrees. <laughs> Justin's like, I'm going to have to fight him after tonight. <laughs> I'm going to have to show this guy something. Okay, anyway, your commitment to Jesus and his great commission has been amazing. And I hope that this just encourages you further in that same commitment. And I hope that for the rest of your life, you'll remember your time at Fort Lewis and at Mesa State and think that it was kind of a training ground for a life that will be effective in fulfilling his great commission. Merriam-Webster's definition for motivation is something as a need or a desire that causes a person to act. So it's whatever gets you to do something, whether it's a need, a desire, who knows. Russ Aikens has a much more eloquent definition for motivation. Motivation is the measure of what it takes to overcome initial inertia and become activated towards some sort of accomplishment. I really like that definition. Basically, it boils down to this. One second before you die, look into the future with me. This could be tomorrow as you drive down from the lodge. I don't know what that was. Should I quit using this? I think I'm going to quit using this. Have you guys ever done those spiritual gift tests where it sees where you, where you see where you're gifted? I have two big ones. One is to scare and frighten little children. And the second is... I do ask Aaron. And uh, the second is to make electronic things do weird things. Me and Russ are both due for a zap at some point tonight for some of our jokes. This is kind of uh, what I want you to start with. One second before you die, fast forward, I don't know if that's tomorrow or 50 years from now or who knows when. One second before you die, if you could look back over your life, would you be satisfied with what you did with it? Would you be satisfied with what God did with it and you were willing to let him do with it? I personally thought of that question when I was a student. Most of you guys are students right now. And that thought started going through my head. And I said, I really would hate to get to that point where I'm on my deathbed and I know it. And I look back and think, you know, I made some money, had a nice career, helped a few people, maybe did a a few good Christian things. But the impact that Christ had for me was missed. I don't want that to be the case I think that will inevitably be the case if we don't preserve good motivation as we follow God. Burnout is huge among people doing Christian work or the ministry, whether that be in the lay world or in the world of full-time ministry. 
Jeremiah 29.11 and Ephesians 2.10 both tell us that God has a specific plan for your life. Justin, when you leave this school, this world won't be the same. God has a reason for you being here. It's the same for you, Rob. It's the same for all you guys in here. Natalie, Natalie is one of the most awesome people on the planet. I love, <laughs> I love Natalie's um, ability to take take the bull by the horns, even though she really might be scared of the bull. <laughs> it's, it was so cool this summer. We'd have these huge obstacles, and Natalie would be so bummed, but then she would just race right into it and just really serve God. So I know you will be a world changer, Natalie. So what will prevent you from accomplishing that purpose that God has for you? That is the fundamental question. You, there's no question that God has a reason for you being here. It's not an accident. So as long as you keep your eyes on Him and walk with Him on the throne, you're going to fulfill that purpose. If a person is correctly motivated, nothing is going to stop them from accomplishing what God has for them. This is huge. What stops us and what does it take to get us going? Because if we can get a good hand on this issue, I think that we can see this victorious Christian life, this abundant life, this meaningful, purposeful life that God has for us come to fruition. I think it's possible. You guys have heard that there are three different types of people. Those that make things happen, those that watch things happen, and those who ask what happened. (laughs) That's kind of funny, but it's true. I hope that all of you will be the people that make things happen. If you're following Christ, if your eyes are on Christ, you will make things happen. You're not going to be a bystander. You will be somebody that is causing things to happen because he's going to be working through you. He already said that there's a reason for you to be here, so you will be making things happen. Most of you that have been in Master Plan any time at all know of two big types of motivation, and we call them extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is the kind of motivation that, that involves rewards, like money, or fear, or punishment, or insecurity. So I do things for what I get, and I don't do things because of what I'm scared of. A lot of times that motivates you. Why did you study for your test last week? Cody, did you have a test last week? Yes, I did. Why did you study for it? Okay, sweet. But you, so you wanted a reward. And probably, I'm sure there are some of you in here that probably studied for a test last week because you're scared you'd fail if you didn't. So two different ideas, but both extrinsic motivation. There wasn't like an intrinsic motivation in that. That's natural in a lot of things in life. Now the opposite of that, which is the motivation we're talking about tonight, is this intrinsic motivation where we're motivated from the heart. That means that I'm motivated inwardly to do what I do. It doesn't take something coming from outside to make me do what I do. Robbie put it this way to me the other day. He said, when I wake up in the morning, I can't help but think, what does Christ have for me today? And that is intrinsic motivation. I don't wake up and go, somebody told me that I have to do a talk this Friday. How much of a bummer is that? I better get something together. That's extrinsic. Intrinsic motivation is saying Christ has a plan for me today and that is what I want to fulfill. And so intrinsic motivation is something that I want to focus on today. That's that inward motivation that I believe all of us have in this room. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And that intrinsic motivation is like pure gold. If you can preserve it, if you can maintain it, if you can protect it, you'll go a long way. If you don't learn how to protect it and preserve it and maintain it, you'll probably crash and burn and be a statistic. And I hope that does not happen to you. So motives and motivation are often as important as the action itself. 
Why do you do what you do? Why do you lead Bible studies? Why did you start crossover? Why do you guys do the rumble, the rumble and the wreck? Why do you do what you do? Uh, Lacey's doing a Bible study. Lacey's not a student this year. Uh, she has a job, a husband, a life outside of college. She chooses to lead a Bible study on campus because of a love for God, I believe, and a love for those students. Why do you do what you do? 1 Samuel 16.7 says, Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. So even when so often it's easy to look at the events that we do, to look at the outside things, who's doing what, should I do that too? God's looking at our heart. Why are you doing what you do? What's in the heart? What's the intrinsic motivation? Matthew 15.8 and Mark 7.6 both say, Don't honor God with your lips when your heart is far from Him. And I know so many times this is a big weakness for people that are doing the ministry or the Great Commission. Me and Aaron's pastor, uh, Pastor Dwight, says don't ever let the ministry become your maiden. And I think that is so true. There's this temptation to let the ministry just as a function become the issue and not God himself. And right here it says don't honor God like that if your heart's far from him. And so many times it's easy to let that be the case in my life. Luke 6.45 says that good actions come from the heart. That's where they start, is inside. Matthew 6.21 and Luke 12.34 both say that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Great Commission that we're involved in, is it where our treasure is? If, I, if there's one person I've ever known that I could say the Great Commission is their treasure, it'd be Russ, I think. And I've known a lot of people in full-time ministry over my life. I've been involved through both with my parents and then afterwards in full-time ministry for over 20 years. I've seen many, 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 many people in the ministry and very few that the Great Commission is their treasure. Jesus is their treasure. All they want to do is see people come to Christ and grow in their walks with God. So where is your heart? Where is your treasure? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14-16 that the love of God compels us to live for His purposes. Brother Lawrence said, I can't so much as pick up a stick off the ground, but for the love of God. And I think, what a heart. Every action for God's love. Sometimes, I guess it was Kyle that told me, he goes, when you have, when, when you have kids, you can learn how to have a quiet time while you're sitting on the toilet in the morning. Okay? It's funny, but can even my time on the toilet be used to love God? Honestly, my whole life can be... Everybody's like, that's a little out there. <laughs> I think it's true though, right? Don't you guys want that to be your life? Where everything we do is motivated by a love for God? Every thought, every action, every word. Pastor Norm is a pastor back in Arkansas that just has meant a lot to me. And uh, I went into a Walmart with him a couple years ago. And he stopped this lady that was carrying some flowers. And he grabbed her and he goes, don't get those flowers, get these flowers. And he hands her a different bouquet of flowers. And she goes, why would I want to do that? And he goes, that way, if the people don't like him, you can say some old weird guy picked him out. <laughs> and, uh, and then he looks her in the eyes, he goes, no, honestly, you are a beautiful and precious woman and God loves you dearly. And I thought, man, I want, to, I want to be like that. I want every action to be motivated out of my love for God, the words I say, the things I do. Ephesians 6, 6-7 says to serve the Lord from the heart. And so again, that question, why do you do what you do? Why do you serve the Lord? Is it something that comes out of the heart? Or is it something that comes from some extrinsic pressure, some outside motivator? And honestly, I'm going to put it bluntly, 
Master Plan Ministries exists to give you rails to run on in your personal ministries. We are not here to motivate you to do the Great Commission. That's God's job. And a lot of times, I fear, just because I do it myself, that Master Plan becomes the focus and not God. And I don't want that to be the case. And I hope that for you guys, as much as we can, we can encourage you. We want to be able to rent rooms and organize things and, and encourage people and challenge you to make a step that you need to make, all that. But we're just rails to run on. So serve the Lord out of your heart for God, out of that intrinsic motivation to love Him with every single action. Here's something that I didn't necessarily use to, to, to understand. And I think this is key. And this is that you are in charge of your motivation level. How many of you have ever thought, I just feel really tired, you know? But that isn't motivation. That's physical tiredness. I'm in charge of my motivation level and what I do with the energy I do have. I mean, until I'm buried, <laughs> I'm going to have some energy left. And I get to choose where that energy goes, be it to this heart issue of serving God or other things. So you're in charge of your motivation level. Your motivation level is the fuel that will drive your ministry effectiveness and productivity. Focus and purpose are necessary. You can't be motivated towards nothing. What if I said, hey, tomorrow we're going to go do something. You want to come and and invite other people too? You go, what are we going to do? I don't know, something maybe. But I'm not sure. Are you going to go, you know, wholeheartedly invite a lot of people to that? Honestly, motivation requires a focus. If you're not, if you don't have a purpose and a focus, you can't get motivated. And so, here is my challenge to you: is God put you here for a reason? And I think that reason is the Great Commission. And you'll have different talents and giftings to accomplish that Great Commission. But that Great Commission. Knowing God, making Him known, making disciples of all nations, that's the focus. So you're in charge of your motivation level, and here's the magic trick, okay, to keep your motivation up. It is to cultivate motivation builders and to avoid motivation barriers. On a practical sense, we cultivate motivation builders and we avoid motivation barriers. Here are just a few motivation Builders, know who you are. Know your true identity. I think a lot of Christians don't know who they truly are. They think that they were made to live for the five C's, the cash, cars, careers, condos, cuties, and computers, the sixth C put in by Rob's request. How many of you have thought, my goal is to get a good degree so I can get a good job? I've thought that too, guys. That's not your identity. If you've thought that, that's a lie that you're choosing to believe. I promise you. Because that's not why God put you on this earth. There's six billion people that can do that. That's not why you're here. So know your identity. Know that you're a child of God created for a specific purpose. He's been planning this since before the creation of the world. What's your purpose? Form (laughs) implies function. A hammer is made to hammer nails. What would you say of a hammer that never hammered any nails? You as a child of God were created to accomplish the Great Commission with the life and energy God gave you. Anything else is not living up to the form that God gave you. Does that make sense? There's a function associated with your form as a Christian. And that function, I believe, is the Great Commission. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have given it to us. He would have said, go and make a lot of money and have a good life. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, But he didn't say that. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. 
That's our purpose as Christians. So you have a purpose. You have an identity. Know those things. I think that will encourage you to be motivated towards them, to know what they are in the first place. Create smart goals. We always say this, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and within a timeline. Uh, Those are good goals that you can measure your progress by. Have eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says to fix your eyes on the eternal. To have that eternal perspective. What am I here for? How will this minute impact eternity? 10,000 years from now, will we even remember this minute? Or will we remember it thinking that was a great minute? You know what I mean? How many minutes are we going to just want to forget? I want to cultivate an eternal perspective. It's not so easy all the time, but I think it's uh, important. Faith yields a life occupation. It's one of my favorite verses. It's in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Uh, it says faith yields work in that verse. And the Greek word for work there is a life occupation. So if you have faith in Christ, that will produce a life occupation. Basically, what you live for is to serve Christ because I have faith in Him. And I think as Christians in America, we believe faith is just, I believe, and that's faith. No, faith translates into a life occupation. What do I do with what with what God's given me. Hope yields endurance and perseverance. Develop the right kinds of hope. Remind yourself of the hope you have, not just in future good. This is something that I learned a lot in Romania this year, having a bunch of weird headaches and all this stuff, is my hope wasn't in not having headaches. It had been for a long time. God really convicted me of that. My hope had to be in Him alone, regardless of my circumstances. Well, when my hope is in Him, that increases motivation. If my hope is in future good circumstances and those future good circumstances aren't coming, my motivation goes down the tubes. That's why my hope has to be in Him. That same verse, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, says that hope yields perseverance and endurance. So if I, if I want to be motivated for the long term, I need that hope placed in the right direction. And love, this is huge. Love is the chief motivator for the Christian. Uh, that same verse, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, says that love yields hard, painful toil and labor. And actually, the word for labor that it uses there is a striking or a beating. So it means that it's not fun. So there are a lot of things that love is going to compel you to do as a Christian that are not enjoyable and they're not fun. Somebody was talking to me last week and they said, you know, at SNL, I don't feel the presence of God. I don't. But when I go there, I feel like I'm being judged. And I said, well, has anybody ever judged you from the pulpit? No. Has anybody ever judged you personally? No. He goes, it's just really weird. When I, when I go there, I just feel like there's something wrong in my life. But I, nobody says it. I just feel it. I said, dude, you're right in the presence of God. Okay? When you're in God's presence, I don't think it's like, ooh, smells like brownies. You know? Right? When, when, when we come into God's presence, I'm going to talk about Isaiah later. What did he say? He's like, whoa, is me. I've seen God. Sometimes being in God's presence, being in line with God, is not fun at all. Because it, it challenges me. It breaks me. Because I have to die to self. But when I'm loving Him, I'll do that, right? If, if I'm loving Christ, I'm going to let Him do what He wants with me. I'm, I'm the pot. He's the potter, right? I'm the clay. He's the potter. He can do what He wants with me. He can make me whatever kind of vessel He wants. I don't get a choice. Jesus said in John 14:15, "If you love me, you will obey me." So that love is a chief motivator towards obedience. Grace, how about the appreciation of God's undeserved kindness in our lives? And again, Pastor Norm that I mentioned earlier, he challenged me. 
Don't ever call it undeserved again because you are his child. And now, as his child, it's deserved kindness. Not because of you, but because of him. So, uh, I think it's First Peter 1.13 says to put your hope fully on his grace. So, uh, anticipating his grace at every turn. You know, we have a lot of needs that we encounter in full-time ministry. Need for vehicle, need for house, need for money to go to Romania. Um, a lot of you students have a lot of similar needs. God provides every time. His grace is always there. Uh, so, these are all different things that cultivate motivation. Correct balance between the intellectual and wisdom, physical, social, and spiritual areas of our life. If we don't develop that correct balance, we're going to fry. There is a, a master planner here at Fort Lewis a couple years ago. A few of you know him, so I won't mention his name. But when he first came to Christ, he'd read his Bible all night long. Then he'd come to campus the next day with bloodshot eyes and... <sighs> We'd say, hey, Bob, <laughs> it's not his real name, uh, how you doing? Huh? And he's failing out of classes. He had professors come and talk to me and say he's failing out of classes. I was a student at the same time. He was focusing a little too much on the spiritual area and the physical was being neglected and he was completely useless for any practical purposes. So have balance in your life to maintain good motivation. Fellowship with other Christians will motivate you. Prayer is a huge motivator. Isn't that the case? As I pray, if I'm praying for somebody to, to come to Christ, doesn't it stand to reason that the next time I bump into that guy, I'm going to be more ready to share my faith with him? See, prayer motivates me. God's Word transforms me from the inside out. God's Word is living and active, and it motivates me from the inside out. Jesus, just Himself, just imagine seeing Him face to face and hearing... Well done, good and faithful servant. And I don't even know what that'll be like, but I I wish I could just keep that thought in my mind all day, every day. I think that'd be motivating. His Holy Spirit. We have His Spirit in us. We can choose daily whether we'll let Him fill us and empower us and direct us towards His goals and purposes. As we choose to let His Spirit fill us, we'll be motivated. Pretty bottom line stuff. If His Holy Spirit is filling us and empowering us and directing us, there's going to be a big level of motivation that goes along with that. I might not feel it, but there will be a tremendous amount of motivation, right? I'm not necessarily just going to be like, woo, I feel like I'm floating all of a sudden. But I know that by faith, I can step out and He's going to do big things. And just knowing that and stepping out in faith is motivating. So, what destroys motivation? What hinders you? Huh. A lot of things can hit you, but if you don't, if you prevent these barriers, you're not going to lose motivation. Listen to what Paul uh, had happen to him. Second Corinthians 11:23 through 29. This is a paraphrase. He was imprisoned, near death, whipped five times with 39 lashes, beaten three times with rods, stoned, shipwrecked three times, spent a night and a day treading water in the open sea. He had been in danger from everyone and everything around him, gone without sleep, been without food, been without water, been cold, and been naked. I haven't been a tenth of that. The worst thing that's ever happened to me doing the Great Commission is I got a snowball thrown at me one time, and it hit me in the back of the neck. That's not too bad. But he was able to stay motivated. Just read the book of Acts. Look at how many times they had opposition come from every direction. And, and see when they stopped, because they didn't. And we're all here today because of it. So it is possible to not allow barriers to stop you. So what are some barriers? Temptation and sin. James 1.14 says that each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. I always thought that temptation was an ambush. It's like, 
boom, temptation starts shooting at you and you've got to duck and hide and fight it off, right? That's not the case. Temptation has a door through my desires. What desires do I allow in my life? Because if I'm cultivating godly desires, Psalm 37.4, if I'm delighting myself in Him and letting Him change the desires of my heart, probably there's going to be a lot less room for temptation in my life. But temptation nonetheless, and sin that eventually comes as I uh, succumb to temptation, prevents me from being effective. It destroys motivation. That's why Hebrews 12.1 and 2 says to lay aside the sin that entangles you and drags you down. Expectations. I can have incorrect expectations about the ministry. Here's one that I had coming into the semester. A couple years ago was a rough year. We've had some good rebuilding. We have a ton of good leadership. There are going to be 150 people at every SNL this year. Maybe I didn't put a number on it. Uh, A lot of people have accepted Christ so far this year. Not because of us, but because he's moving. Uh, My expectations might not have been right at the beginning of the semester. So I need to reevaluate my expectations in light of his will and be willing to serve him no matter where he puts me. So have correct expectations. Uh, Have correct desires. Incorrect desires will distract us from motivation. If it prevents you from accomplishing what God has for you, you might want to evaluate what kind of desire that is. Fear prevents progress. Thank God 1 John 4.18 says that perfect love drives out all fear. Because out of relationship, I don't have to fear. I can trust God. But fear will prevent us from being motivated. Rob, were you a little bit scared last night when you did your first talk at SNL? Okay, you did great, dude. Chad walked up to me after SNL. He's like, that is awesome. No, I thought that was great. Uh, But there was a little bit of fear. That could have prevented you from being motivated, but you took it to God instead and let him do it. Unbelief, burnout, lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6 says that we're destroyed by a lack of knowledge. Philippians 1.9 says to let your love for God grow in knowledge. So if we have a lack of knowledge, if we have unbelief, those things can prevent motivation. Feelings, being controlled by emotions. What if I don't feel like sharing my faith? Well, then my motivation just went out the window. So improper, motiva- or improper feelings can distract and, and take away from motivation. Comfort zones. I just want to be comfortable. You know, uh, Last week, we did the first Schneider B Bible study at Fort Lewis of the semester. And I really wanted to put it off a week. I didn't feel good. We hadn't eaten until late. I was like, you know, I'd like to take this Wednesday night off. We've had many nights without much of a break. I'd like to take this Wednesday off and just push it back a week. But we said, no, let's do it. I didn't feel like it. I had comfort zones. Chris, you're helping me lead that one up. I'm sure you had comfort zones. We'd both been struggling at West all semester, and it wasn't very comfortable, and it could have been really comfortable to just say, yeah, let's just take a few weeks and do nothing. But uh, it was awesome, man. There were a lot of guys there. We met a new girl that came by that's hungry for Jesus. It was, it was a really neat time. But comfort zones could have prevented us from experiencing what God had that night. Circumstances don't always align, but be obedient regardless. Here's a huge one. Rationalization destroys my motivation. You guys, when you know what you're supposed to do, and you know it's from God, and that little, that little mind wheel starts turning, just stop it. Say, I'm not even going to go that route. I'm not even going to think about it. Because rationalization will destroy motivation in a second. And so will procrastination. As we put things off and put things off and put things off, eventually, uh, who cares? Don't ever even do it. So those are some things that are barriers towards motivation. So what is the, the result of correct biblical motivation and what isn't? Here's what it isn't. Philippians 2.21 
Paul says, and this is a sad verse, he says, everyone looks after their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. Everyone looks after their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. Okay, don't shout a number or anything, but what? just think in your mind, what percentage of your activities are your interests? What percentage are God's interests? I know for me that's a convicting thought, and I don't want to think about it too much, but it's true. Judges 5.23 is a scary verse. I'll read it really quickly. Curse Meraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly. This is pretty hardcore. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Wow. God's called me to be a part of His great commission. What if I don't come to help the Lord? I'm not saying that we live under this condemnation. I'm saying we do live under grace. But what was God's attitude in the Old Testament? Curse those people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord. I want to be one of the ones that's coming to help the Lord. So that's a result of bad motivation. The opposite is my relationship with God when out of love I obey Him. How beautiful is that? So again, why do you do what you do? And as you obey Him, your character is developed. You become more like Christ. You think more like He thinks. You act more like He acts. All this is a result of motivation. So I think it's a huge thing. If I can stay motivated, if I can stay in the Word, keep my eyes on Christ, if I can apply these principles, it'll help me become more and more like Him. It'll build my convictions. I'll become determined to live for His purposes. I'll become a self-starter. See, if my idea of what what I'm here to do is something between me and God that comes out of my relationship with God, I'm not going to need Russ to tell me what to do. Right? Because I'm going to be running. (laughs) I'm going to be running following Christ. Again, we want to be the rails for you to run on. We want to, we want to serve you, encourage you, help you as much as we can to grow and serve God like never before in your lives. That's all we want to do. But we want you to serve and know God simply out of your relationship for Him. So proper motivation, too, will prevent burnout. Maintain proper biblical motivation. Okay, so that's kind of like the the side that deals with, you know, all the practicality and all the things that we should do to stay motivated, etc. Here is the bottom line, though. Why do we do what we do? That's that question I've been asking. Simply, He is worthy. I want to hit this. He is worthy. There's no other reason. He is worthy. He's worthy because He's God in the first place. He's worthy simply because He is who He is. Uh, There's nothing that I can do that uh, changes that. And there's nothing that He does for me that goes above that. I mean, He's just... Those things are are awesome too, but He's worthy simply because He is. Revelation 5.12 In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I used to think, you know, like, why does God... God doesn't need strength. Why are they singing that? Does that make sense? Questions like that will pop up sometimes. Well, good chance they're talking about my strength. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. Right? He's worthy of my strength. He doesn't need any more strength, but He's worthy to receive every ounce of my strength. He's worthy to receive every ounce of my power. He's worthy to receive every ounce of my wealth. Does God need more wisdom? No. But He's worthy to receive every ounce of my wisdom. I wanted to be a doctor. God called us to something different. I thought, well, I'm a pretty smart guy. I could probably be a pretty good doctor. And I actually wanted to be a missionary with it. Well, he was worthy to receive my wisdom, which 
It wasn't that much compared to His wisdom. He's worthy of everything. And honor and glory and praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. This, this is the fundamental issue. He is worthy. That's just all there is to it. He's God and I'm not. He made me in the first place. How dare I, as just a, a pot, say, um, no, I'm going to do what I want with my life and I'm not going to obey you. See, He's worthy. He made me in the first place. Ephesians 2.10 again, He made me for a purpose. There's no way in the world that I am worthy to say I'm not going to live for that purpose. He made me. He's worthy. He saved me. I don't even think about that very often. Uh, It's been a long time since I accepted Him as my Lord and Savior. David said in Psalm 51.12, Restore in me the joy of my salvation. Uh, A lot of times we forget that, but He saved me. Sometimes I think about it and I just... I'll start crying in the middle of, of singing and praising God. Honestly, you know, you've got five billion people or more working their butts off to gain peace with God. Romans 5.1 says that we have it as a free gift. I don't have to work for it. And, and I mean, honestly, we're trying to buy a car right now and we're offering them some amount of money and they're like, sorry, that's not enough for our used car. And I think about God. I can't offer them a penny for eternal salvation. And the contrast just blows my mind. You know, if one of those guys said, okay, you can have the used car for free, I'd be ecstatic for weeks. And God does that with my salvation and I forget it so fast. I don't want to do that. He's worthy. He saved me. He made me. He is God. Uh, he continues to develop me patiently. I've failed him a million times and, he, and he's patient still. He's worthy. He's the one that's gifted me. Look at all the things you're good at. Uh, Cody is probably, Cody is good at being cool. Cody is (laughs) I think Cody's the coolest guy I've ever met almost he's right up there with Brian Miller but uh, he's gifted you that way I can't help it if I'm not as cool as you are (laughs) no No. Um, he's gifted you Uh, Cassie is encouraging beyond belief he's gifted you as somebody that's encouraging every time Cassie sees me she encourages me Zach (laughs) Zach is, is, I think you have a ton of wisdom, an ability to teach, an ability to lead. I know in Romania we had some crazy stuff happen first day of the trip. And uh, Zach, you were like a pillar for the whole third of the team that got sent all over the world. And sure enough, you know, uh, we all get to Bucharest and two-thirds of us do. And I go back to the airport and I'm wondering if I'm ever going to see Zach again (laughs) or the rest of the team. There they are. Zach manages to get the team there through crazy, weird situations. Jess helped them out. Uh, You guys are all gifted. Jess is, golly, gifted in everything. (laughs) Jess is one of those people you hate because he's just so good at everything. No. He's athletic and good-looking and smart. Amazing. Anyway, no, you're gifted in so many amazing areas, right? That's all because of God. He's worthy. He's gifted you those ways. Uh, What about your provision and sustenance every day? Whether you're working to pay bills or not, He's providing that. We see it dramatically, guys. I mean, I can't... You want to see God be faithful? Go into full-time ministry. and It'll blow your socks off how faithful He is. He provides and He provides and He provides and He provides and He provides again. Look at the relationships you have. How many of you guys are depressed and lonely in here? I doubt very many. He's given you relationships that you can be thankful for. A lot of people don't have that. 
The number one problem among college students is loneliness. He's given you relationships. That's just scratching the surface, guys. He is worthy of everything. I, there's, there's nothing I could logically or in any other way hold back from him. He's worthy of all of it. Uh, true agape love, unselfishly choosing and acting for another's good for Christ. That kind of agape love for Christ should motivate my obedience. I, I share that verse, Philippians 2.21, that everyone looks after their own interests, not the interests of Christ. And my challenge is to do the opposite of that. In John 14.15 where he says, If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Love him. That's where it starts is loving him because he's worthy. And I think out of that relationship comes true motivation. If your relationship with God is where it needs to be, you're not going to struggle with motivation. I promise you. If you've ever thought, man, I'm struggling with motivation, I really just don't know if I want to do this. That thought probably isn't birthed in a vital relationship with Christ. I'm not saying that there won't be times where you have to back out of something because you don't want to be burnt out. But I am saying that as a lifestyle, if your relationship with God is at the forefront of your life, you will be motivated to fulfill the great commission that He's purposed you for. Here's the motivation cycle that I really want you guys to walk away with tonight. And that is James 4.8. says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So step one is draw near to God. And I know that the corresponding circumstances that he will grow, uh, that he will draw near to me so draw near to god and he will draw near to you how do i draw near to god what are some ways why don't you guys tell me solitude zach. community zach. spending time with him prayer huge what else scripture huge right what else fellowship huge man those are all great ways of drawing near to god now, his promise is that if I draw near to him, he's going to draw near to me. So I know that if I'm taking time to pray, if I'm taking time to get in his word, to spend time with him, to get in fellowship, he is going to respond by drawing near to me. Now, here's the neat deal. There's something that goes along with motivation, I think, and that's called joy. Not necessarily happiness, but joy. Okay? Now, Psalm 16:11 says, In his presence is fullness of joy. Again, his presence can be scary, and I can feel very convicted, and I might not be happy or feel good, but there's a tremendous amount of joy there. Now that joy, I believe, is a motivator. I believe if I'm not motivated, I lack joy. I think that would be a fair uh, connection to make. So as I draw near to him, he draws near to me, and then there's joy, right? His Holy Spirit produces that joy in me as I choose to be filled and empowered by him. That's part of what he does. Nehemiah says in 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to stay motivated? The joy of the Lord is your strength. So the joy of the Lord is your strength. That comes out of that relationship with him. Draw near to him. In his presence is fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And it boils down to one verse, Second Peter 1.3. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. So there might be times where you think, in the Great Commission or the ministry God's called me to, I don't have what I need. I've looked at people like Russ before and said, Russ is more talented, gifted, has more experience than me. Well, that's true. But on the flip side of the coin, on the flip side of the coin, he's already given me everything I need for life and godliness. I get to choose whether I'm going to obediently walk in that or not. And again, that comes out of relationship with Him. And I guarantee, if your relationship with Christ is where it's supposed to be, everything you need for life and godliness will come out of that because you're walking in obedience to Him. 
Now here are two short examples that I think are really important. Look at Moses in Exodus. You guys can read this with me if you want. So Exodus 3, and I'm going to start reading in verse 4. Uh, 4 through 6, Moses has a connection with God. And I want to call it the connection, okay, in these two stories. I talked about draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. So there's this connection that happens. I draw near to God, God draws near to me, we connect. Okay, so in 3, 4 through 6, it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Okay, so he's connecting with God. God says, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So again, every time we connect with God, there seems to be this, Oh my gosh, who am I? I hide my face. I'm scared of God. Like there's this, I realize that I am insufficient, that I am a sinful human being. So that's a natural response that Moses has at first. So there's a connection in his first response. Now God gives Moses the call in Exodus 3, 7-10. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now... The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God gives him a big call. You're a single guy, go defeat Pharaoh, basically, and take all the people out of captivity. And so I'd probably have no different response than Moses. So as I rag on Moses a little bit, know that I don't think I would have been much better. But Moses says in uh, Exodus 3.11... Who am I? Have you ever had that kind of question? When God says, I've called you for this purpose. When God said, Joel, I want you to lead a Bible study. Did you ever go, who am I? I'm not some old Christian. I, You know, I, I'm kind of young. You know, I'm still a student. Moses said the same thing. Who am I? And then in 3.13, he says, who shall I say sent me? God answers that question. In Exodus 4.1, he says, what if they don't believe me? Have you guys ever dealt with that? I want to share my faith, but what if they think I'm crazy? What if they don't believe what I'm saying? See, Moses had all the same insecurities that we have. Then he goes, I'm not eloquent. I'm not gifted enough. Have you ever heard that one? I don't share my faith because I'm not gifted with evangelism. Well, God never said share your faith because you're gifted with it. He just said to do it. So um, Moses has all these same things. Who am I? You know, what if they don't believe me? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not gifted enough? And then Moses' final attitude comes out in 4.13. He says, God, please send someone else. Just please send someone else. Have you guys ever felt like that about your Bible study? God, please just send someone else. Let somebody else do this. Or how about sharing with your class? Some topic comes up in class and the professor is ragging on Christ and you go, man, I hope some other Christian feels this thing. I don't feel like doing it right now. Have you guys ever felt that way? Please send someone else. Now, God still used Moses, but man, Moses had a really bad attitude in the start. Your weaknesses, failures, and inabilities present no challenge to God's plan for your life. Your willingness does. I believe that with everything in me. It's your willingness that matters. 
so don't bring up those. Send someone else. I'm not good enough. I'm not gifted enough. Who am I? They might not believe me. That was Moses' attitude. I want to contrast that with Isaiah's attitude, guys. Uh, so, really quickly, Isaiah 6. Again, Isaiah has a connection with God, a first response, then God gives him a call, and then he has his response to the call. So in Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, this is the connection. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. So he's seeing God seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, and each flew, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. It's a pretty awesome revelation. So he connects with God. He sees God in this awesome setting. And what is his response to that connection with God. His response is in 5-7. through He goes, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am destroyed. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Basically, I'm a sinner. I've seen God. I deserve to die. So he had this connection with God, and he had this response from the heart. I am not worthy. He's worthy. I'm not worthy. So, that's his response. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That's what's happened to each one of us through Jesus Christ. Our sin's been atoned for. He's cleansed us. First John 1 John 1.9 Anyway, so here's the call and Isaiah's response in one verse. And this is what I hope more than anything you walk away with knowing that this is... This is motivation right here. This attitude between me and God, having connected with God. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And I, and I hope that as you leave, that that would be your attitude with the ministry that God's entrusted you to at Fort Lewis College. That you'd look at that ministry and say, God, I've connected with you. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Here am I. Send me. I want to be used. Again, we're just rails to run on, guys. But we want you to connect with God, to have that vital relationship with God in a way that will motivate you to be obedient to Him and what He's called you to. And here's, here's the summary. John the Baptist is quoted five times. I don't think there's any other gospel story quoted five times. I could be wrong. I don't think there is. This one is, so it kind of tells us the importance. It's quoted in Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.7, Luke 3.16, John 1.27, and it's even quoted in Acts 13.25. And this is where John the Baptist says about Jesus, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. 1 Corinthians 3.9, he says that we're his fellow workers. Isn't that amazing? John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes. And then Jesus looks at us and says, you're my co-workers. I think that's enough, you know. So, uh, I think if you lack motivation, you're not connecting with God. I think that's the, the fundamental issue. A lack of intrinsic motivation implies a lack of awe of God. If I struggle with being obedient to what he's called me to, I don't think there's any way to put it other than that. 
I just am not choosing to see him as worthy. I want to have that attitude like, God, you've called me to this ministry. I'm not worthy to untie your shoes. But you've called me to be a co-worker with you. And so I'm going to do it. So, um, gosh, look at the other disciples' attitudes, the apostles. They get flogged and beaten. And in Acts 5.41 they say they, they counted themselves worthy that they could be beaten for Christ's sake. You know? And, and I'm reluctant to lead a Bible study sometimes. So... Here's the issue. Your motivation has to start with a vital connection with God. And it has to be your response to the simple fact that He's worthy of everything. Everything. My energy, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, everything I want my life to count for and myself, He's worthy of it all. So, what I want to challenge you to do tonight is get alone somewhere. If you've had a different attitude about what God's called you to in ministry, and I know I have, I'm not pointing the finger. Just because we're in full-time ministry doesn't mean that we don't struggle with this just as much. Probably even more, though, sometimes, because it's our entire life. You know, there are a lot of days where I'm just like, I don't even want to go to campus today. If you need to connect with God, get on your knees, do whatever it takes, and just connect with God. And if you need to repent and tell them that you're sorry for looking at the ministry as an activity or just another thing, pour it out. You know, tell them you're sorry. I, I hope that you'd walk away tonight with Isaiah's heart. Here am I, send me, and use me till the day I die. And that's all I want from my life, is to be used by you.